Welcome to the Foundations podcast series, where we build our present on the foundations of the future. On each episode, we'll feature either an educational, tactical guide or a special guest whose story will help pave the way to a stronger foundation in life, business, and beyond. This show is sponsored by the SalesCast community, a place where entrepreneurs and sales leaders build revenue-first podcasts. Join the community for free at salescast.community. Today, we have a very special guest on the show, Jason Mark Campbell, the author of a book called Selling with Love. I think the title speaks for itself. Jason, welcome to Foundations. Hey, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So what I think is really interesting about you is that you're in Bali. Well, I had a chance to move out here. Um, you know, during my 20s, I had a chance to do a student exchange out in Thailand. And that was the first time I actually got to travel outside of North America, thinking that it was going to be a very different experience. And I was going to move to something that was going to be day and night compared to the lifestyle I had in North America. And what I've realized is the world was much smaller than I expected. We're much more similar than we're different. And so when I had that experience in my early 20s, I was able to actually look at the world as an opportunity of where I'd want to work. As a fact, I ended up in Malaysia for working at a company called Mind Valley, which some of your listeners might be familiar with. But after spending seven years there working from Kuala Lumpur, I realized, well, now at this point, when I'm building my own business, I could set it up anywhere in the world. And it just so happened that Bali ticks a lot of different boxes. And uh, I've been here for over two years now and I uh, plan to stay here for a while. Uh, it's a great place, great community, and you get to do your work in a beautiful way from here. Now, I'm I'm curious how um, how that experience has been building a business where you don't necessarily need to be anywhere in particular. I think it's a lot more common now, but what were some of the steps that you took to achieve that? You know, we, we laughed at the, at the beginning of this, uh, just before recording about Tim Ferriss being an influence for a lot of people in this community. I remember reading the four hour work week and the most stunning part is not what most people were paying attention to at the time. I think building the online business and all those things were some of the more appealing parts of that book. For me, there was a particular line about how to redesign your agreement with the workplace that you have. And back in 2013 was when I first designed myself a remote work agreement. And I'd went to my boss following some of the advice from the workbook or the four hour work week. And then I, I went to my boss and I asked him to renegotiate my salary. And mind you, this is a time I was working in real estate, making a six figure income and I just went to my employer and I said, I really want to talk about how much I make. And he's like, well, Jason, you're already one of the top earners in this company. Like, what else do you want? You got a bunch of perks. I'm like, you're right. It's too much. So I'd rather you cut my salary in half. And so I've had his attention now. He's like, tell me more. And I said, I want to do a test with you. Cut my salary in half. Allow me to deliver on the same things I deliver, but don't track my hours and don't force me to work from the office. And so this was the first time I had the opportunity to be a nomad. I went to Southeast Asia and I had a chance to continue to do that work where my cost of living was one third. So I was ahead as opposed to how I was living when I was making that six figure income. Now, that was the first time I had a chance to 
kind of apply this concept, work remotely. Internet was doing fantastic. iPhones were starting to get good. So I was right at the beginning where technology allowed you to be able to do that. And then from there, when, you know, pandemic hit, there was a lot more work from home opportunities. This was, this was already my lifestyle. This is something I'd done before. I continued to do. I even designed courses on training people on how to do that. And it became second nature. So having that skill very early on paid off. And now that's why even as I build my business, I allow my employees to be able to work remotely because I have the right systems in place. Two questions. Um, and I would like to understand a little bit more about what was your work scope with this real estate job and did did that scope change or, or what were some of the ways that you navigated switching to remote? How did you manage the the, the hours and, and the, the communication? And then two, um, have you seen more companies adopt maybe even a remote first model um, instead of just allowing it as an option? It, it is the norm. It is the way. So two part question. All right. So going first in the real estate side. Uh, yes, I did re, you know, that that was kind of the sale that I made to get the attention and get the yes. But then what happened is we sat down and redrafted what should I be responsible for? There was a lot of things that would demand me to be in the office to move the paperwork, which would be around like structuring the deal, working with the lawyers and raising funds, finding investors. Those were not things I would need to do anymore. But what happened is this company also had an educational arm teaching people how to uh, acquire real estate, renovate real estate. And the biggest need in the company right now was somebody had done it who could actually guide the students into a powerful way of getting started with their businesses. And this I could do all over the phone. So I would oversee a lot of the investments. I would actually work directly with the students and I would create educational material for the students, which was all recorded via video. So there you have it. A lot of my responsibilities were actually designed with this new arrangement in mind. Um, Interesting thing is that even one of my compensation models was now directly tied to the number of students I was managing. So even if I said I'd cut my salary in half, I ended up making commissions and getting like per client type of payouts that brought my salary right back to where it was. So the cut didn't feel that big, um, but it was really powerful to kind of lay out what were the things that were limited by location and what things were not. And what happened is we started leveraging so that I would do only the high impact things that would require the least amount of time. And as such, everybody wins because they get to move the needle. And I had a, I have a re, a very unique working relationships to everywhere that I go. I, I reached out to my former boss because I speak about him in my book. And he's like, you know, there's something that was really funny about you. I never really exactly knew what you were doing in the workplace, but I always knew you were do, working on something awesome and it always brought results. And so I think one of the big things that I had as a mindset while I was working for any company is I had a high sense of loyalty. My, my father is an entrepreneur. He has a swimming pool retail business. And I've seen what happens when employees betray. I've seen the ones that steal. I've seen the ones that took advantage of his kindness and generosity. So I've always had this mentality that for whoever pays your payroll, like loyalty is expected and is rewarded. Like to me, that was always the foundation is be so loyal that you're to your employer treat them like the person that is providing for you. Like they are giving you your lifestyle. They're giving you your salary. Like as an employee, it was like, wow, I'm going to take care of this man. Cause they're taking care of me. And I think we often take that for granted. Like we hate our bosses, but you're like, Hey, 
everything you get to enjoy in life comes from the income that they're providing you. So how can you have such a dysfunctional relationship? That always bothered me. And so as such, I think that was the precursor that allowed me to be able to make those switches because at the end of the day, nobody expected me that I was trying to screw them over. Now, when I look at what I was doing where I was at Mind Valley, it was very interesting because we had to work from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And this was a really cool perk for working at a company like Mind Valley, where their headquarters was in Southeast Asia. This was an area where most of the smartest people were leaving to other countries. They're trying to go to Australia, Singapore, England. The smartest people in the country were all leaving. But this entrepreneur said, what if I attract the smartest people from every other country to come to Kuala Lumpur? Now, this was a fascinating tactic at the beginning of this company to attract this talent that was really, really like open to relocating, really hustling. So you'd attract a lot of people in their mid-20s that would be open to the idea. But as the company grew, we realized that a lot of senior talent, maybe based in America, would actually have a lot more hesitancy towards making a large relocation, but the talent was needed. So it was back in 2017, the company had already started putting in place what are the foundations that need to be in place for remote work to be friendly so we can attract talent from around the world and have more flexible work arrangements. This was how do we actually set up all meeting spaces to be remote first? So everything was designed so that every meeting is always a digital meeting first and you can join in person. Knowing that this company was already doing events around the world, this became something powerful while the CEO is traveling or the leadership team is traveling, knowing that we chose to do a lot of things with remote first in mind, forced more documentation, allowed for the right technology to be ready. And then whenever the pandemic hit, we were ready. So that was a struck of luck, but it was also kind of a, a foresight of where the trends were going. Yeah, I mean, the, really riding that wave from, um, you said 2014 was uh, when you initially made that For the remote first, switch. it actually started in 2017 is when we set it as an objective in the company. No, no, no. I meant when you made your first sort of shift to remote. It was actually 2012. 2012? Wow. Okay. So you've got a, a decade of experience doing this. Um, do you mind if I shift the conversation a little bit? Because I, I, I want to, um, you don't often hear the word love when you're talking about sales. And I, I want to shift the focus a little bit toward the book that you've written, Selling with Love. And I'm sure you get this question all the time, but how do you sell with love? Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the premise I want to bring forward. And I want people to understand that if you sell with a place of love, it becomes one of the more powerful things you can do to move the needle across every way that you sell or grow your business. And I think an interesting place to start from is, well, what does it look like if you're not selling from love? And the big word I can use to wrap everything up is fear. Like if you have fear of selling, you hate salespeople, you, uh, you, you get inside your head and you hesitate towards making any kind of sales activity, there's a fear at play, right? And that fear is really what's gonna kill the growth of a business and lower your performance as a sales individual. You know, if you waking up in the morning and you're like dreading getting on the phones, dreading writing those emails, everything requires more energy now. So you're trying to press, press on the gas, but your foot is firmly on the brake, might as well have the handbrake on. 
And so the concept of selling with love is recognizing that we have personal fears we need to conquer. We need to really start investigating, saying like, okay, why, why am I afraid to sell? What's going on? Is this a fear of rejection? Am I afraid the product's not good enough? Am I afraid that I don't know enough about, you know, the client to really know if this product's good for them? There's a lot of things you start asking yourself. And when you get clear on this and start making a plan, because most of the people who are paralyzed around selling, if you don't write it down, it feels like there's a thousand reasons why selling is scary. But when you start writing it down, you'll probably end up with five or six. Like that would be the average. And you can make a plan and start saying like, hey, okay, these are the things, things. What can I do so that I have a plan on addressing those fears? And from there, when you're actually, okay, here's what's on the table, I introduce a model for people to start understanding what are the five different loves you need to sell with love. And I'll list them out quickly and we can dig into the ones you find most interesting, which is you first have to love the impact of every sale you make on the individual you sell to, on the ripple that'll happen from you continuously making them sales, and on the impact you want for yourself as to what success you want in your business or as a sales individual. The impact or problem solving is the first of the loves you need to have when you sell with love. And then I explain to people that when you genuinely love the client, that's the second love. It's actually a question of understanding the client. So if we're hesitating to sell, maybe we're not too clear on who we're selling to and why what we're selling to will change their life. But when you get clear on that, it becomes so powerful in the way you sell because you'll communicate their language and you'll understand why it's so important for them to acquire the solution that you provide so you can come from a place of empathy, caring, and love. And that's really the premise I wanna bring forward. The third one is, well, I understand who these people are. I know the difference I wanna make. Then I need to design the product that's actually gonna serve them powerfully. And as such, you start designing a product not in mind of, hey, let's fake it till we make it. No, no, don't fake it, make it. Make a great product that matches the client. And for anybody who is at the beginning stages, you know, you might be looking at a giant company as a competitor and going, wow, I can't match what they have. But I think we forget the power that comes from serving a specific mm. client amazingly, like delivering something that is so personalized and so specific for people that it has a magic in its own. And there are plenty of opportunities, especially in the service business, that you can be extremely amazing at creating a product or an offer that serves specifically the people you've taken the time to understand. Those are the first three loves that I tell people. If you ignore those, that's where all the problems around crappy sales happen because it's very common to fall in love with the fourth of the loves of selling, which is loving the process of selling. Now, Chris, you, you're, you're part of a sales organization as well, so you're very aware of the power that comes with selling. Like when you learn to sell, you are a powerful being that can shift mountains. You can move people, you can move companies, but you need to have the first three loves. Before mm -hmm. loving the process of selling, you have to love the difference you make, you have to love the people you serve, and you have to love the product you sell. Then all these techniques, all these channels for traffic, conversion, marketing, all of it gets wrapped up in this process of selling. And you can do it from a place where now I'm using the tools that are necessary for people to understand the difference I want to make in their life. Oh, that's so fascinating because I feel like a lot of people start in that reverse order. And um, it's really a matter of getting those uh, love priorities in order. Um, to love 
to, 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 to love the difference that you make. What is the real problem that's being solved here? And to, and, and to, to, to love that and, and be pulled by that, uh, to love the people that you're serving, um, to, to, to fall in love with this people group of, of, of those that you have decided to, to understand, to empathize with, to, to, to know what's really going on in their lives and to fall in love with your product, the way that you solve these things, fall in love with uh, the things that you do, continuously making it better, innovating, um, especially on the front line of sales. You're, you're getting the, the real time, you're getting the feedback that matters. If you build it, they will not come, <laughs> right? It's, and, and then the fourth is um, the falling in love with that process of sales in it. And if you have those three foundations beforehand, I can imagine that the fourth is a lot more fulfilling in the long run. And then you can focus on all of these funnels and hacks and growth tactics and things that, to be frank, I like to focus on those more than I focus on the <laughs> on 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 the right things. So um, that's very eye-opening. Well, you know, what's interesting, Chris, is that there's nothing wrong if you are a marketer that your love is the process itself, right? Like that's yeah. the impact you make is you're so aware of how these funnels, webinars, online marketing, direct response techniques actually affect people's businesses. The question is, what kind of businesses are you supporting with these tools? It's, uh, yeah. you know, it's the marketing itself is not a good or bad thing. It's where do you yes. apply it? So if I go and I, if I'm, I build an agency and I'm like, all right, my marketing agency is all about applying the process because I understand its power. Like take a moment to get clear on who you serve. And in the process, imagine this question, which is if I would serve everyone in this industry in the most powerful way and they would generate massive market share and serve millions of people in the process, what's the difference I'm going to make in the world? Hmm. Now, if you're selling your services to people that are just running get rich, get rich quick schemes, or they're you're you're promoting people that are just genuinely out to take, take, take without actually making a difference in the world, there's going to be a disconnect at some point. You're going to yeah. go like, hey, hold on, how does this even align to my values? Is this the world I want to play a part in creating? And I think that the moment you get really clear on that impact, especially the ripple that happens from you providing your product and service to a set of clients and what they're gonna start creating in the world by doing so, is where you'll often say, hey, if you're doing marketing and sales and it feels empty, it feels like there's no point and it feels like you're super disconnected. I, I talk a bit more about this in the book. I call it the fear pride paradox where you get really good at the process but you don't care about the impact that it does for people. You often see salespeople who fall into this, I call it a trap because the abundance will come for you, but there's something that doesn't feel right. And I think this is the missing piece. If you just start really being clear on the impact that happens, and then you start saying, well, guess what? Maybe I'm, in, I'm an agency that only works with X number of clients in an industry that stand for these values. So in my case, I do sales training. Like there's nothing impactful around sales training as opposed to giving the tools of sales to any company but I got very clear. And for me, I work with, you know, very influential spiritual leaders that want to make it to the top 100 list of spiritual leaders in the world. 
So they have big ambitions and they want to shift consciousness to a better place. So that's how I vet my companies that I want to work with. And it makes me even more powerful as a salesperson by doing so. Because if I go to an individual and I say, hey, I've noticed you're a sales leader. You have a team of 10 to 20 people. You're already in the millions of dollars. And if you have any ambitions of being a top 100 type of spiritual leader along the sides of the Sadgurus or the, um, the uh, I know Vishen Lakiani just made that list, so good for him, or the Mark Manson, there's like very big, powerful people that actually influence the dialogue around spirituality. And if you want to be one of these people, I'm an agency that helps you get there. If you're the right client, you're like, this is the guy. And so being even more specific on the client, being more clear on your impact, you start attracting the right people. This is very, um, very, very, very important. Um, so I'm going to give a two-pronged reply. Reply number one is I believe in this greatly, is to prepare a statement that pulls in your ICP, and if they hear it, it's not just a yes. It's it's like a heck yes. So um, the, I remember the, the the first one that we did for SalesCast was uh, we partnered with visionary entrepreneurs and sales leaders to produce a podcast that builds new relationships with your ideal clients, serves your communities through impactful content, and drives net new ethical sales in your organization. When the right person heard that. It wasn't even like, uh, oh, you know, what is your product? It's like, can you send me a quote? <laughs> and and it is possible to use language that powerfully in sales because it's designed to um, meet the needs of of exactly who we work with, and we know that we can deliver on that every single time. So there's a there's an there's an alignment. And the second thing is. I personally resonated with your, your statement. I don't know if I necessarily care about being a, on a list of uh, a top 100 spiritual leader, but I am personally uh, studying to become a pastor and, and to, to integrate this more into my, my, my daily life in terms of the re recovery groups that I lead. I plan on starting a church one day and uh, you know, perhaps I could be a client of yours. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny, Chris, is that the impact first type of model, it's a really interesting one because we're all different. And I feel like we're all serving a different mission on this world, right? And mm -hmm. in your case, going into ministries, studying pastorship and looking at the churches as big groups that are leading people towards recovery efforts, whether it's with addictions or other parts of their life, that's something that's true to you, not true to anybody else. And you right. happen to have all this sales and marketing. So, you know, I do an exercise with people because in the process of love the client, you also have to ask yourself, what makes me the best person to serve this client? And oftentimes it's these things that pull us forward and the reason that we get pulled by them. So I think of someone like you, Chris, and if you're doing this marketing and funnel agency, again, I'm just projecting my own thoughts from what I'm hearing. But imagine you're like, oh my God, I serve ministries and, and church groups that have recovery programs to learn how to market and sell themselves in a much better way to heal their communities and make a difference at a local level that can go to a state level and almost to a national level. And if you know that that's exactly who you serve and you, you contact every single church that's trying to get more donations, expand their programs and make a bigger impact. And you're the guy who knows the online marketing space that can help them digitize themselves. 
How many clients can you find? Matter of fact, if in America, I think there's probably thousands of churches. So you even have to restrict it even more. Um, which part of the country are you in, Chris? I'm in California in Orange County. There you go. So then you're like, all right, well, if I want to start in my backyard, how do I get every person in my state as a client? Then you're like, whoa, there's already thousands here. Then you're like, how do I expand, expand, expand? And that's how you start the niche marketing, at least in my views. It combines a part of why you serve these people so powerfully. What's that unique sauce? It'll be the passion you have for that field. So again, I love this impact first because once you have clarity on that, then the rest, it's let's go. Like in, in sales, hesitation is the biggest killer for any person that's trying to get better at sales. It's like if you're struggling to pick up the phone every time, that's what's killing your sales numbers. But if you're clear on the difference you make and you're like, oh my God, every time I pick up the phone, there might be one new, um, one new church group that gets to hear my message and I have this package which at least gives them an instant modernization so that way they can to grow their following, spread the goodwill, make the world better in the process. This is gold. Why would I not pick up the phone? This is like having the cure for cancer and hesitating. You right. Wouldn't. The only risk is not doing it. Yeah. And so when, and when you when set you the stakes them, for yourself that high. <laughs> yeah. And then when you talk to them, you're just like, I need to talk to you because what I've put together is exactly what you need. And I know what you need because I've had conversations with a hundred people in your industry and this is what I've been providing. And I know this will work for you. And I'm so excited to bring it to your face. And people are like, who are you? But take my money just the way SalesCast has done it as well. I'm a client of SalesCast and you're exactly right. When you said those statements, I was like, yep, yep, yep. Oh yeah, take my money. There's no objection. I know where you're coming from. And you know, if we wanna bring this full circle, you know, I talk first about my employment, my remote work, and there was this concept of loyalty as an employee. But I think when you're trying to sell to people, we're already assuming that a salesperson is gonna be trying to take advantage of us. Unless you really understand why they're selling you, you know, Simon Sinek's start with why clarity on impact answers the ultimate question. It's like, if you have a friend that's trying to be pushy to get you to the gym, you're like, why are you being pushy? And they're like, because I want you to go through this transformation with me and be in your best shelf. Cause I heard you say you wanted to do this. So I'm going to kick your butt and get you out of bed. And we're going to go to the gym together. That's being pushy. And you mm -hmm. do it. They understand why you're doing it. I think in sales, we lack that answer because most people just think the reason why is because you want a commission. I'm taking a minute to internalize this and receive it. Uh, I have this message on my wall that says, I appreciate it. I accept it in my life and I allow myself to receive it. You know, I used to be someone that instantly rejected like new good things because I felt like I didn't deserve it. But today's episode is a new good thing that I need to appreciate, accept and receive. And I know that a lot of other people need to appreciate, accept, and receive this selling with love message. So the first 10 people that write a review on this show, send me a screenshot of the review. You can DM it to me on LinkedIn, or you can send it to me on email, Christopher at salescast.co. The first 10 people, I will physically purchase you a copy of this book and send it to you in the mail on Amazon, the hardcover, not the ebook, the real thing first 10 people that reach out jason thanks so much for coming on the show do you have any closing thoughts you know 
I'm really in a mission here to try to create this, you know, shift in the way people perceive sales. I think it's a beautiful thing. And I'll just quote with a definition of sales uh, that I have in my book that I think is powerful for people to reframe, especially if they have hesitancy around sales, which is selling is nothing more than an energy exchange between conscious people. Energy is given in form of products or services delivered in exchange for typically you'll call it money, which is nothing more than stored energy for previous work you've done. And here's the kicker. When you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, the emotion of love is what's felt by both the buyer and the seller. And so if we can sell a lot more from, from love, we're going to see a lot more love in the world and solve some real problems. And I think we need that. And I'm excited that everybody listening are going to be somebody inspired by this message and hopefully go out there and sell with love. Thanks for tuning in to the Foundations podcast series. Please leave us a review and subscribe. Want to reach out to me? Just find me on LinkedIn in the show notes below and I'd be happy to talk.